Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Good to see everyone and welcome to our Arab Shabbat service. I'm Monty Judah with Lion Land Ministries and this is the Arab Shabbat service for B'nai Shalom. And we say thank you to all of you who have invited us into your home this Sabbath. And as you probably all know, we are in the midst of the Feast of Unleavened Bread right now. And we had the Passover not too long ago. And we're enjoying the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Let me also mention that this Sabbath, this intermediate Sabbath that falls during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's the day after this Sabbath, which will be this Sunday, will be the first day of the counting of the Omer. We're going to be counting seven Sabbaths after this Sabbath. And then on the 50th day or the day after the seventh Sabbath, we'll be observing the Feast of Weeks. That's going to be coming in early June uh, for us. So this is a special time, not only of Passover that just happened, Feast of Unleavened Bread right now, but we also have the Feast of First Fruits. So we pray that this holiday season for you is a great blessing to you. And uh, we thank you for inviting us into your home this holiday period for us to um, enjoy the Sabbath together. Now, we don't have a specific designated uh, Torah portion this week, and Ephraim is going to be covering a kind of more of a generalized topic as a part of this intermediate Sabbath. But there is a traditional teaching in the Haftor in the portion of the prophets that will be for it, and I will be sharing that after Ephraim uh, shares with you first. But uh, let me turn to a couple of quick announcements. As I mentioned to you before, we're getting ready to start the counting of the Omer. Leading to the Feast of Weeks, of course, that's Shavuot, and Lion and Lamb Ministries will be hosting a Shavuot conference that'll be on the 50th day. It's um, the conference weekend is June 2nd, 3rd, and 4th this year, and if you'd like to be a part of that, we'll be hosting here in Norman, Oklahoma. We would love to have you come and join us for the Feast of Weeks uh, and uh, be a part of that. Registration is going to, registration fee is going to increase May 1, so we need you to get signed up this month of April uh, so that you can have the discounted price for that. We'll have to start making the planning and uh, we'll need to know the count of all who's coming. That's the reason for that. Also, <coughs> pardon me, later on this year, we'll of course be hosting the Feast of Tabernacles. Registration for that uh, is now open. That'll be in the fall. Our theme this year is Zealous Over Zion. And we, you need to plan for that well in advance uh, for us to come and celebrate with us for eight days uh, for that feast. As we're beginning the appointed times, this year of the appointed times, we count through the seven specific holidays the Lord gives to us in Leviticus 23. And the process has now begun for this year to enjoy the appointed times. And we'd love you to be a part of them, as many as you possibly can. Amen? All right, that's our announcements. Uh, glad to have you. And, of course, uh, Kiddush this week is not going to be with leavened bread. It will be with unleavened bread, uh, having some matzah for our blessings. So join us in Kiddush now.
Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melekawalom Asher Kedeshonu Bemetotov Fetzivanu Lekalekner Shel Shabbat Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to be a light to the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Now, Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Atadonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pri HaGafen Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Now the blessing over the bread. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch Atadonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz Amen Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Now, husbands, let's bless our wives. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us wives of Proverbs. And Lord, I thank you for the wife that you've given me. I pray that you would bless her, strengthen her, encourage her as she sees about the ways of our household, even when it is still dark. And Father, I thank you for the blessing that she is when she teaches and educates our children. Father, I thank you for what she does for our home, our household, our household, and the blessing that she is to me. And I confess to her that I love her. And so, Father, I pray that you would just um, fill your wisdom, put your wisdom within her, Father, as she teaches the kids and as she uh, speaks kindness and takes care of our household. And, Father, we also pray a special blessing upon the widows and orphans, those without a husband and father at this time. So we thank you, Father, for the blessing. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Now, if we'd all bless our sons. God bless you 
and grant you long life. Protect and defend you. May His Spirit fill you with grace. May our family grow in happiness. So hear our Sabbath prayer. Now let's bless our daughters. you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance and grant you peace. May you be like Ruth and like Esther. May the Lord with you ever be. Bring you home unto the land prepared for thee. May God bless you and grant you long life. May God make you good mothers and wives. May He bring you a husband who will care for you. May the Lord protect and defend you. May His Spirit fill you with grace. May our family grow in happiness. So hear our Sabbath prayer. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michmocha. Michmocha Baelim Adonai Michmocha Nedahar Bachodesh Nohora Techilot who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord. Who is like you, O Lord? Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch Atarunai, Elohenu Melech Alam, Asher Natan Lanu et Derech, Hayashua Bamashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru Vene Israel et Hashabat, Lasot et Hashabat, Ladortam, Burit Olam, Bene Vayom, Bene Israel, Othit Leolam, Kishashet Yamim Asadonai, et Hashemayim, Vayet Haoret, Ovayom Hashavi Ishavat, Vayinafash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. If we all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto Le'olam Vayed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Ochecha, b'kol levavka uv'kol nashicha, uv'kol me'odecha. Ve'heyu ha'devarim ha'ale'a asher nechim e'zavka, ha'yom alevavka. Ve'shin nantam la'venecha, 
All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
How great is our God singing me out is our God and all will see our great how great is our God
most holy Elohim who was and is and is to come. Blessed be your name whose kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. And Hag to your family. We hope that you are having a wonderful feast of unleavened bread this week. And I hope that earlier this week, um, you and your family had a wonderful uh, Pesach. Uh, we had our seders earlier this week. And right now we are at the time in our Torah cycle when we have the intermediate portion of Passover. We take a break from our usual Torah cycle teaching. And we talk about the Passover. We talk about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And there is a traditional reading that uh, takes place on this uh, Sabbath according to Judaism and according to Torah cycles. And that passage uh, comes to us from uh, Exodus chapter 33 through 34. A passage we actually covered in the Torah portion uh, just a few weeks ago. And that's the portion in which Moses um, intercedes with God after the sin of the golden calf. And then we learn of the attributes of God, the attributes of mercy. And then after that, God reaffirms the covenant made with Israel through Moses. And there is um, some... Uh, detail there in Exodus uh, 34 that talks about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You shall keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits. And so the reaffirmation of the covenant in that passage um, speaks to us here at this time as we take a break from the usual Torah cycle and are in the midst of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I want to take the opportunity, uh, however, I asked my father, and what does he like to do in, at this time? And so what I like to do is kind of give my feelings, opinions, my own personal uh, convictions, things that I've learned about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and take the opportunity to share and, and speak and teach um, on that subject. Um, when we're talking about Passover here, Judaism will sometimes will combine by title Passover with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Judaism will call it the seven days of Passover. In fact, they add even an eighth day uh, for those that are in the diaspora uh, and scattered into the nations. And so uh, Judaism will call the whole festival Passover. Now, when you do a little deeper study, you learn there are separate appointed times that there is one that is Pesach or Passover. There is then the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then also at the same time is the Feast of First Fruits. There's three spring festivals, three appointed times that are called for us to keep uh, here, right here at the same time. There's parallels between this and also the fall feasts where there is also three appointed times of Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur, and of course, Sukkot. And we'll, I'll bring out maybe a little bit more of those parallels here uh, a little bit later. So the thing that I want to do want to talk about now is I want to talk about Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When it comes to Passover, um, it's a great time. There's many people, Messianics and believers, who say that Passover is one of their favorite holidays. Uh, within Judaism, it's really this wonderful, joyous feast, uh, this time together with family. Nothing kind of brings the family together quite like Passover. It's like Independence Day and Memorial Day and Thanksgiving all rolled into one. Where the family comes together, we share the recipes, we have a great meal, food, we teach our children. Uh, some families even have almost like a dinner theater kind of event when they 
they uh, go and they enjoy the Passover. And it's a great joyous time that brings the family together. Nothing brings the family together quite like a big holiday and a big feast and, and a big lamb cookout. And, and that's what brings the family together. There's also nothing quite like Passover when it comes to a bridge between Christianity and Judaism. Judaism, of course, has Passover rich with tradition, talking memorializing the uh, salvation of the children of Israel from Egypt and the, uh, the meal that when Moses, when they put the blood on the doorpost and Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, that this is a, this is a great memorial feast to remember that salvation. But then there's parallels in the New Testament as well when it comes to Yeshua when he kept the Passover and the Last Supper in which we believe he affirmed the New Covenant and that he himself was the sacrifice and the blood of the Lamb and was the Passover sacrifice for us, all of that taking place. And so if for a Christian to celebrate Passover, uh, many people have said that uh, it's almost the most Christian thing you can do is to celebrate Passover. Now, that doesn't mean that Jews and Christians Christians celebrate the Passover together, but what I am saying is that this is an interesting bridge. It's a, it's, it's a tool in which that there's connections to both, and nothing kind of brings uh, the messianic movement together, if you will. For those that are followers of the Torah and believers in Yeshua, Passover is the, is the culmination of messianic faith when talking about the memorialization of old versus the, and including uh, the affirmation of the new covenant through Yeshua. Yeshua. Nothing brings us together quite like Passover. On the flip side of that coin, nothing quite stirs up debate and divides us quite like Passover as well. Questions come up and, and, and debate happens between brethren within families all around this same time when it comes to Passover. Um, it, it's, it can be divisive sometimes when we're talking about how, uh, when, when, when do we keep Passover exactly? Uh, what exactly is leaven? Um, when it comes to keeping Passover, well, what, uh, what calendar are you following? What, uh, because it, Passover takes place in the first, mo first month of the year, it always comes up. Well, how are we determining the new month and how are we determining the new, the new year? And when do we keep Passover? There are some people that when Passover occurs late, uh, in or in the middle of April, some people take it upon themselves to declare the month of Aviv back in March, and so some people will keep Passover a month in advance to others. Uh, other, there's also a stipulation uh, in uh, the scripture that if you were to come in contact with a dead person or someone in your family were to pass away, you're allowed to postpone the Passover by a month. And so do it. So some people are doing it a month earlier, some people are doing it a month later, and so and so once you decide what calendar you're following and how you determine that, then the question arises, what day do you do it on? Is it done on the evening that begins from the 13th to the 14th of Nisan to memorialize when Yeshua and the, his last supper affirmed the new covenant? Is it done in the middle of the day on the 14th to coincide with Yeshua's sacrifice of when he was actually on the cross? Is it done on the 15th of Nisan in that evening to determine that that was uh, the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and there's a high Sabbath there and after the sacrifice of Yeshua had take, taken place? So much debate, so many questions that you yourself and wherever you might be have maybe seen this, been confused, why somebody's doing it on one day versus another and which calendar and all of that. So this is what we have to enjoy every time Passover rolls around. Passover still, there, there's, there's something that we really need to, to focus on when it comes to Passover and that, that's the point of what I want to talk about. 
the, the debates that happen there is, is something that causes a great deal of confusion. But then even within a home and within uh, your own household, you then have to figure out what in the world leaven is. What in the world is this thing that we're supposed to be searching in our hearts and in our homes and supposed to be removing and getting, and getting rid of? So once you can figure out... So, so the questions continue to keep coming when it comes to Passover. What are we supposed to do? What's the difference? What's this Feast of Unleavened Bread business? So one thing I want to do is I do want to review what is our true commandment here for Passover? What are we supposed to be doing as we're preparing for, for these things? So I do want to take us back to uh, Exodus chapter 12 where we receive some of the instruction um, from Moses when the children of Israel kept the Passover um, there in ancient, uh, in ancient Egypt. So here at Exodus chapter 12, I want to begin reading here at verse 15. So follow along with me there. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this same day I brought, you, uh, brought your armies out of the land of Egypt, therefore you shall ob observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread, until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is stranger or native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all of your dwellings, and you shall eat unleavened bread. Here we have the commandment here. For seven days, we're to eat unleavened bread. Not just that you abstain from bread altogether, but we're commanded to partake of this bread. Something interesting that some people uh, might forget or might think that, hey, if it's like if I don't want to eat matzah this day, um, that's okay, right? Well, actually, the commandment says to eat unleavened bread. And it says to abstain from that which is leavened. Now, there's a, uh, there's a warning here that if you eat of leavened bread during this time, that you're cut off from among your people. This is why there's a great deal of emphasis put on this holiday, especially amongst Ju uh, Judaism, where they want to make sure they want to make sure they're not unclean, make sure that they are following the Lord and, and don't want to be cut off from their people. So they, they uh, add to this commandment and create a barrier around keeping this, this festival and keeping this commandment is that no leaven is to be found in their homes. So I want to review, if you, this question might have come up, exactly what is leaven according to Judaism, and so kind of explain some of these things on, on what they consider to be leaven and what has to be removed. Um, they remove what is specifically what they call chametz. When it says in the scripture where it says leavened bread or that which is leavened, that in the Hebrew word is chametz. And what they really believe that is, is it's the certain grains that come in contact with water and then they leaven themselves when those grains come in contact with water. Those grains are wheat, barley, rye, oats, and spelt. And malt, you might have heard as well, is a, a derivative of those grains. And so um, those are the things that if come in contact with water, they become chametz, they become leavened. So when you have matzah that's kosher for Passover, what it is is that's made with wheat that at the second water came in contact with that wheat flour, within 18 minutes it was cooked 
and that it no longer can be leavened after that point in time. So within 18 minutes, scientifically, that the, the spores in the air have not leavened that bread, and that's what they consider to be comets. So the whole emphasis is all on the water coming in contact with these various grains. They also put more barriers around the commandments that they have, and, and Ashkenazic Jews have a list of things that to avoid during Feast of Unleavened is also what's called kitniot. Now what that is, is that is loosely translated legumes, and so things that even have the appearance of grain, they, are, they don't eat as well, and they make sure that they, not that they have to be removed from their home, but they don't consume them. These are things like rice, corn, soy, string beans, peas, lentils, peanuts, sesame, poppy seeds, and other things that might look like leaven. And so they even abstain from those during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they cast all of these things out of their home, and there's a great deal of, of um, ceremony to burning it and removing it by a certain amount of time and, and all these sort of things, and there's a great amount of detail to how they keep these commandments. There's even a sect of Judaism that takes it even another step further, and they avoid what they call gebrokst, which is a Yiddish word meaning broken, and that that is soaked matzah. They believe that even once matzah is made into leavened bread, that when water comes back in contact with that, that there might be traces of wheat that was not yet fully cooked, and so that then that might leaven, and so they avoid things like matzah meal, in which water would come in contact with matzah meal, they don't eat matzah balls or matzah ball soup, and that that should be avoided as well to avoid eating that which is leavened. Great amount of, of detail here that goes beyond what we have in the scripture here and how they protect themselves in this way. Now they also, they circumvent the commandment sometimes as well. When they have leaven that they don't want to throw out, what they'll do sometimes is they'll box it up, they'll sell it to their Gentile neighbor for a dollar at the beginning of the week, and then buy it back for a dollar at the end of the week. They will also sometimes even have a closet designated for their comets, for their leaven. They'll put it all in, they'll seal it up, and then they'll go actually make a legal contract through a rabbi to sell that closet to their Gentile neighbor for the week, so that then it's not that closet then no longer is a part of their dwelling, and yet that is now belongs to their Gentile neighbor. Again, circumventing the commandment here of all this focus on what we are to not have in our homes, all these physical things, and, and this is what Judaism will do. So if you've ever heard somebody say, well, what's wrong with, with uh, there's, there's no leavening in flatbread and there's just wheat, well, now you know why Judaism will avoid those things because their emphasis has to do with the water coming in contact with the grain. What's interesting, though, as well, is that if you look at the scripture and you look at where it says in the scripture that you shall remove leaven from your homes, not what that which is leavened, but leaven itself, that's another Hebrew word. That Hebrew word is called seor, which means that is like the yeast or the leavening agents that would be used to leaven bread. And that's what is also should be cast out of your home. Now, some people look at that and they say, well, the emphasis should be on what's not in our homes is the yeast or the, the leavening agents. And the question sometimes comes up, what about baking soda, which shows up in every single recipe for matzo balls that causes them to puff and, and puff up right there. Is that not something that we should have during Feast of Unleavened because something that, that, that puffs up and, 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 and that sort of thing? Well, we're talking scientifically about a fermentation process and that there's something that is like, is that what should be avoiding, we should be avoiding? If I was to interpret myself what we should avoid and go take it a step further, I would look at all those different fermenting agents that would cause the same action that yeast would, would, uh, would affect on a dough or a bread.
Now, in ancient times, what, what are we really talking about here? Because in ancient times, they didn't have fast-acting yeast packets that when you go and you put it in your bread, and within about an hour, it's, it's, it's rising, and then you can make bread. In ancient times, they had what was called a sourdough ball or a sourdough helper, where there would be a piece of dough that was pulled off of a, a made, risen piece of dough. That was set aside, and then when it came, comes time to make another piece of bread, that piece of dough, a piece or that chunk of dough that was set aside or left behind, um, was then put back in, and that was their way that they could f quickly cause another batch of dough to rise. And that this was a this was the way that they leavened. This was the yeast. This was the leaven present in a home or a kitchen or or a bakery, if you will. There are some bakeries that uh, advertise or brag that uh, the recipe of bread that they use is still the same, that the same sourdough ball that great-grandma great -grandma used back in the 1800s, that a portion of that dough has always been used and put aside and set aside and taken back in the course of the bakery. So you eat a piece of bread today from that bakery and that there's some sort of legacy or, or to back to when grandma used to make it back in the 1800s because it still uses the same. However, if we're following scripture, that we're to cast the leaven out of our homes, to remove the old leaven and make it new, that's exactly the thing that should have been taken out of the home every single year. That that's almost not, that that's the reason for this commandment to biblically remove those things, because if you think about it, there is an uncleanliness there. Because when you're talking about yeast and that and that scientific uh, uh, reaction, we're talking about a living organism, a single-celled organism that that grows. Where, and these are the things. This is where bacteria can grow. And these are, so we're talking about kind of a there's a health application to what we're doing about casting these things out. Again, if I were to go further with this. And to put more barriers around the commandments, I would look at those. Uh, there's many in the uh, Hebrew Roots movement that um, make their own kombucha, that use a, a fermenting process, a, a scoby that causes that to, to uh, ferment, and they save that and they, to make a new batch of kombucha. If I were to take this a step further, I'd recommend at this time of year, you remove the old scoby and, and have make a new one for the year if we're going to maybe take that same application here. Again, we're talking about these deeper layers and levels of, of what we're supposed to do with the food and, and our kitchens and, and cleaning our houses here. This whole time of the year was where we do talk about spring cleaning. We go into our homes and we clean out all of these things. We clean out the crumbs and the clean out the the, uh, the vacuum out the car and the couch and all of these things. And I believe it's unverified, but I believe this whole the whole idea in the secular term of spring cleaning comes from this practice of cleaning out leaven at this time of year. I believe there's a connection there. In ancient times, what they also had is they had granaries filled with grain from the previous harvest. And when it came time that the new harvest was about to come in, you didn't want to have any part of the old harvest in there that might spoil and might spoil the rest of the grain that you then, the new grain that you put in. So this whole idea of cleaning things out so it's clean, fresh, new, ready for the new year so that you don't have any spoilage from the previous, what was previously there. These are all great ideas and these are the practical reasons why some of these things exist, I believe. But for those that are religious and us who are believers, there's more to it than just what we eat what's physically in our kitchens and in our homes and, and, and cleaning these things out. We have to find out what is God really trying to teach us here. And many people talk about the spiritual nature of not only cleaning out your physical house, but your spiritual house, in your heart, in your body. You're to make a, a reflection and look into your own heart, into your own soul, and see that there is no leaven there. 
that there is no what they call either malice or wickedness or, or sin, that you're to do a search in your own heart in the same way that you dig deep in your homes to look in the couch, vacuum out the couch and, the, and the, the drawers and wherever crumbs might be. We're to do a deep search within our own hearts and our own lives spiritually on where to find these things and remove that which is unclean, that's which is, that which is leaven, that which has been added to our lives maybe from the enemy here. Malice, wickedness. Things like that, that we should not be present in our homes and in our spiritual lives. We spend the week of Feast of Unleavened Bread talking about what we can and can't eat. What should be in our homes, what shouldn't be in our homes. We, we, we debate on what the next meal is going to be. and you're, It's like, oh, matzah and, and, and one, one more time, matzah pizza, one more time, or whatever. We're trying to figure out what, what you can eat. And that's really how we sometimes celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread for a week. We're debating and questioning, well, I can't eat that, or this is what we're going to have, and it's just matzah again. And so when that is how we celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, I don't think we're necessarily getting the point. I don't think that we're maybe keeping this appointed time to the Lord in the right way if all we're focusing on is the physical. If all we're focusing on is what we can and can't eat and whatever. Because here, here's what happens. is Invariably, every year, you will go into your kitchen, you will open something up, and you will realize you forgot something. You will realize that you forgot to clean something. The drawer under the, the stove where the, where the pots and where lids are, there's crumbs all in there. You'll clean out your silverware drawer and crumbs ended up in there some way, somehow. You'll forget to have emptied your vacuum bag, that it's still sitting in your vacuum and you vacuumed everything up, but all the crumbs are still in the vacuum bag that you didn't remove and clean out the vacuum. Invariably, every year you will forget something. So at that point, you repent. I'm, I don't want to be cut off before the Lord. These things weren't meant to be in my home. You find this. And if that's your, if that's your fear, if that's what's going on, if that's what this whole uh, holiday is about, then I think we're missing the point. I already mentioned spiritually, yes, we're supposed to look into our own hearts and our own lives. But I also think that we have to remember truly, what is this holiday, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, these seven days, what do they represent? What were the children of Israel doing at the time when this took place. They were leaving Egypt. They were fleeing hundreds of years of persecution and slavery. And they're following a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night to the Red Sea to salvation, to promised land for seven days. The reason why they ate this bread was because they were in haste. Because they didn't have time to worry about what they're eating. They're following the Lord. Their, their, their heart is, is, is following the Lord. The enemy's pursuing them from behind. They didn't have time to worry about what they were eating or for their bread to rise. They didn't, I bet they didn't care what they ate at that, on that journey. Because they were leaving persecution and following the Lord. What an amazing thing that they were doing at this time. I don't think that if we're paying so much attention to the, what we're eating, I don't think we're getting the point exactly. I mentioned the, the parallel between the spring feast and the fall feast earlier. And in the spring, between the spring and the fall, there's two feasts that are a single day, and then there's another feast that is multiple days. In the, in the fall, it's Sukkot. In the spring, it's Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that there's Sabbaths, holy convocations at the beginning and the end of those weeks. And so there's parallels here. We also have something in the fall feast. We have a fast in the fall feasts. It's done on Yom Kippur, where we fast and we abstain from eating all things to return our focus back to the Lord. There is a kind of fast here in the spring feast as well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where we fast from leavened bread. One could say that Feast of Unleavened Bread is the fast of leavened bread. Now, it's not a complete uh, abstinence of eating very, uh, uh, all kinds of foods, but we do abstain from something. 
something that, we're, that we normally would eat, we're told to abstain from. By making that connection, by looking at the Feast of Unleavened Bread as a fast, then I want to take us to a passage of scripture that's usually reserved and taught for um, Yom Kippur during a fast. And many people are familiar with this passage in Isaiah chapter 48, where we're talking about what is an appropriate fast uh, before the Lord. 58, I'm sorry, Isaiah 58. This is a passage that many are familiar with when it comes to what is a true and acceptable fast before the Lord. So follow along with me on here at Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. So they ask this, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you have not taken notice? See, when you take a fast, you afflict your soul. You have humility. And so when we are eating unleavened bread, you're not eating the, the bread of, 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 of fullness. So you're eating the bread of humility. So they've afflicted their soul in a way by not eating leavened bread. Continue along. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with a fist of wickedness. And you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. It is a fast I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul. Is it to bow his head like a bulrush or to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast? And an acceptable day to the Lord? Is it not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? And that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover them? And not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard, that you shall call and the Lord will answer, and you shall cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke in your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places and shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If we're to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread and it is a form of a fast then we have to make sure that we're doing it in a way that is acceptable before the Lord. That we're doing it with appropriateness. And that again, a fast is not about what you eat. It's not about afflicting your soul and being miserable and, 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 and complaining about the matzah and, and spreading out sackcloth and ashes and, and making it obvious that you're keeping a fast. Because if you do that, then God will not listen. We see patterns and parallels here in this whole passage that I read to Passover that we did. We're talking about a fast and then there's so much strife and debate. I talked about that, that this is what Passover produces. Strife and debate. What is leaven? When are you keeping your Seder? 
What calendar are you using? Are you doing it right? Are you doing it appropriately? Strife, debate. That has no presence in an appropriate fast before the Lord. We're to afflict our soul. We're talking about the bread of humility. We should loosen the bonds of wickedness, the leaven. We should remove it, not keep it attached to us. And when you're talking about, it said, the glory of the Lord will be our rear guard. Think about the children of Israel fleeing the land of Egypt. The Egyptians and Pharaoh are pursuing them. But God, the, the pillar of fire, moved behind them to their rear guard and protected them at that time. And it said the Lord will guide you continually. That's the pillar that we're following in the process to follow the Lord and learning to, to follow after His ways and lead, following His lead to the promised land. This is what the Feast of Unleavened is all, abro- is all about. It's about making an appropriate time and an appropriate uh, fast before the Lord to feed the hungry. It says to share your bread with the hungry. Uh, it doesn't say whether it's leavened or unleavened bread. But it's to share with those. To do. This is an appropriate fast before the Lord. This is when we will be renewed and refreshed. We think about this when we clean our homes. and There's a sense of renewal. There's a sense of, of, of this, like it's almost like a brand new house when it's all clean and ready to do the ways of the Lord. That this is, that if we're truly to be renewed and refreshed and our bones to be strengthened, to be like a watered garden who, whose waters do not fail and to be called the repairer of the breach, this is the result of an acceptable fast before the Lord. This was a seven-day festival, a seven-day process. This is many parallels to the rest of Scripture. One that we just read recently, just around the same time at the Torah cycle, is the seven-day process of being of Moses or uh, Aaron and his sons being consecrated as a priesthood. What was Israel called? A kingdom of priests. That God was to make them a kingdom of priests. This seven-day festival of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is our seven-day cleansing, consecration process to become an acceptable and to be priests and a part of Israel to worship Him and to do the work of the Lord. That is what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is supposed to mean to us. That's what it's supposed to be. It's not about what we eat. It's not about complaining about matzah for one more day. I have this thing that I, I recommend, and I've, I've said occasionally now, that, that so what are we supposed to do for the Feast of Unleavened Bread? And uh, thinking about it for seven days, we still have our day-to-day jobs that we're supposed to go to, and, 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 and what are we supposed to do? When it comes to lunch break, you know, you bring your matzah, and you bring your peanut butter and jelly sandwich where the jelly's all leaking out of all the holes in the matzah. What, what are we, so are we supposed to just not worry about that or think about that? No, this is what I recommend for a practical application for one to, to keep this feast. Children of Israel ate it in haste. So if you have your hour lunch break, eat your food. Just finish it up. Eat it quickly. It doesn't take that long. You don't have to just string it out. Matzah and cottage cheese, tuna salad, egg salad, whatever you want to do, whatever your favorite topping for your matzah is. Matzah pizza, one more time. Eat it quickly. Then take the rest of your lunch break and concentrate on the Lord. Pray before Him. Make it an, an acceptable time to Him where you're humbling yourself not eating something you normally would, that you're worshiping Him at that time, take the time to look for an opportunity to feed the hungry. Donate to a a homeless shelter or a food bank or something like that. Something that we've now started doing, at least in my home and and in our immediate community, is to take the leaven that we're cleaning out, rather than trying to eat it all up or throw it away, 
take the non-perishable food that has not been opened and give it to the hungry. Because that is an acceptable thing before the Lord, to do good to the stranger and to help those who are in need in your community. This is an acceptable way to keep a holiday of the Lord. This is what a true appointed time of the Lord should look like. Not one with strife and debate and wickedness, but one with humility, sincerity, and doing good for your neighbor. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day, the intermediate Shabbat here in the midst of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Father, I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us. As we are celebrating your appointed times, Lord, um, we thank you for giving us holidays of, uh, and festivals of rejoicing, Lord. But Father, I pray that we would continue to seek after you, your works and your ways, and to be encouraged in everything that we do, Lord. And I pray that every time that we keep these festivals, whatever they may be, that we may do it in a way that is acceptable before you, in a way that you have called it to be, for it to be a wonderful holiday and festival according to your works and your ways, and not according to the traditions of men. Lord, the traditions are good. They help us to remember to keep the festivals and give us ways to teach our children and that is good father but let them never be let the traditions of man never be a replacement for your commandments and the fulfillment of your festivals and your holidays lord teach us the your ways lord both physically and spiritually though we do so many things in the physical father they have parallels in the spiritual and father i pray that we take those things to heart that as we're cleaning our physical homes, that we are also cleaning our spiritual homes. And that our spiritual homes in our hearts, Lord, would then be an acceptable tabernacle for you to dwell in. We love you and bless you and thank you, Lord. We thank you for your appointed times, choosing us from among all peoples, Lord. We give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise. And on this Shabbat, we give you uh, all, the, all of our praise by the blood of Yeshua. We pray all of these things. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. If you would, uh, for our Haftor or a portion of the prophets for this Sabbath, would you turn please to Ezekiel chapter 37. Um, it is traditional uh, that in the intermediate weekly Sabbath that falls during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that we go to this particular portion of the prophet Ezekiel. I'm certain that you're very familiar with this. Um, and I'll give a little explanation as to why this passage is, is used for this in conjunction with Passover so that you can see what it's uh, all about. Uh, but let me go ahead and just begin reading for you or begin at verse 1. Let me read to you. I'm sure you're familiar with this passage as we and follow along with me. Uh, beginning at verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about. And behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. 
and I will put sinews on you and make flesh grow on you, back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds of the breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came in, and they came to life, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. When I opened your graves and caused you to come up out of her, out of your graves, my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your land, then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. This passage, you may be asking yourself right off the bat, why would they select this passage to go with the Passover season? while we're observing the Feast of Unleavened in, the, in this springtime. And the answer is, is very simple here. The, the dry bones prophecy is speaking to a people who've lost hope. They have no chance of living, no chance of um, having a, a life. And God raises them up and promises to take them to the promised land. Now, the children of Israel in the great Exodus story were stuck in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They had no hope. They had no chance. Unless God comes with a prophecy, and by the way, God gave the prophecy first to Abraham concerning them. Unless God prophesies over them, and then he himself by his hand comes in and delivers them, unless he breathes on them, so to speak, and th then they have no chance of coming to life. They have no chance of making it to the promised land. So we see that story of redemption. We see that story of being enslaved with no help, being raised up, brought together, life being given back to them, and them on the journey to the promised land. Well, here's what this prophecy is about. Now, obviously, this prophecy is not about ancient Egypt. This prophecy is for much later, when Israel is scattered in the nations. When Israel has been divided into two houses, the house of Israel, the house of Judah, two different captivities, the first one to the Assyrians and to the north, the other one to the Roman Empire being scattered throughout the world. And this is the prophecy that is being referred to in modern Israel today as to how Israel has come back to be a nation. They see that the dry bones, the, the piles of bones from the Holocaust... 
And from those bones, from the things of the Holocaust, the dispersion in the nations, the great harm that's come to Israel of many centuries of harm, suddenly those bones are coming to life and there's flesh on them. And those people who are now living and have flesh, they're making their way to the promised land. And today we have the house of Judah, which is returned, the Jewish people, they have returned to the land. And But if you recall, in this prophecy, it spoke of a, a secondary event of their return. Not only would they return in a fleshly way, they would also return in a spiritual way. God would breathe into them, and the breath of God is, is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And that this would be on the whole house of Israel, that this would be taking place. So we're talking about both the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And right now, today, we have the house of Judah in the land physically in the land but we don't quite yet see the spiritual return of them they don't they're not proclaiming who the messiah is they're still just coming back still battling their enemies but in this messianic movement that's going on around the world we see both houses of israel the house of israel and the house of judah spiritually returning proclaiming the messiah and talking about going back to the land in this generation no other previous generation has even come close to this prophecy and the passover season is of incredible spiritual uh, prophetic significance to us in this day now let me just tell you that religious jews when they look at this and they talk about this future event they have another title for this they call it the final redemption and if you were paying attention to the Sabbaths leading up to the Passover, there's a series of preparatory Sabbaths that we went through. A Sabbath of remembrance, a Sabbath of the Shekelim, the great Sabbath, the, the, the holy Sabbath. There's a series of Sabbaths in which there were special teachings uh, in addition to the Torah teaching and the Hoftor teaching. And they were all for the purpose of preparing the people for the upcoming Passover. And what was the message of all that preparatory stuff? It's about the final redemption. It's about there is a Passover coming in the future in which that we will see the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37 and if you go into chapter 38 and chapter 39 it, it, it talks about the fulfillment of those things about the day when Ephraim will join with Judah in fact it's actually in chapter 37 just a few verses further let me take you to um, verse 21 uh, where he says um, no, let me take you to verse uh, 19. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is the hand of Ephraim, the tribes of Israel, his companions, I will put them with the stick of Judah, make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you will write will be in your hand before the Lord, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king will be king over them. They will no longer be two kingdoms. They will no longer be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all, from all of their dwelling places in which they have sinned, will cleanse them. They will be my people. I will be their God. 
So what starts off in this passage about what God's going to do to bring Israel, scattered in the nations, who become dead, like dry bones, with no hope, no future. And suddenly in this generation, we've seen the house of Judah make their way back to the land. And they are fleshly people there. Those dry bones came together. The sinew and the muscle and the skin. And, and the, we have the fleshly people have returned to the land. But we're still looking for when God breathes into us by his Holy Spirit. And the whole house of Israel comes in. Ezekiel 38, 39, chapter 39 concludes there's a battle. There's a battle in the mountains of Israel in the modern day. In which that God shows up for the battle, defeats the enemies. And then it says he pours out his spirit on the whole house of Israel. That's the breathing in. And we all return to the Lord. We all know who the same king is. We all follow the same king. And this is what is referred to by the Jewish people, this teaching, called the final redemption. How does it all get started? It gets started on a future Passover. So every year when we come to the Passover, Passover season, and on the intermediate Sabbath, we bring up this prophecy. We teach this prophecy that, that there's going to be a Passover coming in the future in which all these events will be taking place. So why would Passover be selected for these future events? Well, the other prophets go on to tell us that if you're going to make a journey from all the different nations where you're at back to the promised land, well, that's, that's the great Exodus story. That's the great story in the Torah. Uh, so here we are, eating the Passover, remembering what our ancestors did, but we're also talking about this future Passover, this future Exodus that will be taking place, the prophetic Exodus versus the historical Exodus. And there's going to be a day when there's going to be a group of people, a generation of people keeping the Passover when these things will take place. Uh, from a traditional Jewish standpoint, what is the thing that you will see that will tell you that this is the Passover? This is the one. It has to do with the cup of Elijah. We you remember in the Passover we had four cups. The cup of sanctification, making this meal different from all other meals. The cup of instruction, we teach our children the ancient story. The cup of redemption, we drink after the dinner, the best part. Uh, thanking God for the redemption that he brought forth. And then finally, the fourth cup, the cup of praise, you know, and one that we intend to drink in the kingdom, you know, with the Messiah. Now, between that third and fourth cup, before you get to the cup of praise to be in the kingdom, there's another cup. There's, there's always an exception to us Jews. You understand what I'm saying? There's always an exception. And our exception at Passover is there's another cup that we don't call it the fourth or fifth cup. We call it the cup of Elijah. And we set this special cup. And it usually has a little saucer underneath. And, one of the, and when we come to that part of the Seder, the Father pours the cup to the very top, to the very brim. And the idea is you want to pour it to where it's, it's it, a literally wine is standing on the top of the cup just prior to spilling. And you fill it as best you can to make the cup as irresistible as you possibly can. And it's a cup set for Elijah. The idea is, let's invite Elijah to our Seder. So we dispatch, part of the fun of Passover is we dispatch a child uh, to the door 
to open the door and call out down the street calling for Elijah to see if Elijah's in the neighborhood, get him to come in and join us for the Passover. Now, why do we set that cup? The reason is that if Elijah shows up at the Passover, if he's there to drink that cup, then this is the Passover that begins the final redemption. Because Elijah has been prophesied to come to us and to restore the relationship between us and the fathers, you know, the children with the fathers, fathers with the children, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, before the great day of judgment, we're restored so that we can come back to the land together, so the whole family, the whole house of Israel can come back, even different generations. You know, Elijah comes back to do part of that restoration. So that's, uh, we, we do the cup of Elijah, but a lot of people don't quite understand, well, why do we set that? What, what's the new? That's the prophetic part of the Passover. If Elijah shows up, well, then this is the Passover. Now, let me go ahead and speak to very practical terms of what we really think will happen. I think what really will happen is the Passover, of course, comes in the springtime, early in the springtime. But in the wintertime are the prophesied events of the Great Tribulation. And part of what happens at the beginning of the Great Tribulation is, of course, the shutting down of the altar, the setting up of the image. But we also have the two witnesses who come and prophesy either side of the cold altar to the Antichrist and to the world, pronouncing God's judgments that come in the Great Tribulation. We believe one of those characters, of those two witnesses, is the spirit of Elijah. That's when Elijah comes before the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's when he comes to restore. And that's our signal that this is the Passover that begins the great tribulation, the great escape, the greater exodus, what the Jews call the final redemption uh, for us when we'll be making our journey back to the promised land, which is the messianic kingdom you know that we get through the day of the lord and messiah's return and we live with him and dwell with him for a thousand years the, that's how all of this ties in so it's fitting that we would be reminded of these prophecies in this generation not only because this certainly gives a biblical explanation to understand what in the world is going on in modern israel today what is happening with them? Who are these people that are there? How is God orchestrating that? And by the way, the evidence that God is orchestrating this in the modern state of Israel is overwhelming. And at the same time, we who are in the Messianic movement, who love Israel, want to be a part of those things. What is God doing with us? Well, there's the fleshly part, and we're the breathing part. We're the spiritual part. But it's all going to come together here very soon when we have this great war and he pours out his spirit on all of the house of Israel and then we have this Passover and all of a sudden we're in the days of the great tribulation that's when we're all unified and that's when God does a work of restoration for us at the same time he's doing a work of judgment on the world so you can see how all of this comes flowing together now let me, uh, that, that's the traditional teaching. You know, I could go on and on with regard to that. But let me step back for a moment and let me just speak from my own heart to all of you who are partaking in the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread with us, those of you who are coming into the Messianic movement. Uh, 
As you all know, there are more and more people coming into the movement every day. In fact, here just recently we've seen many new people coming in. And not too long ago, I was up in Indiana and was speaking to different assemblies. And they were having their very first Passover this year. The, the brethren that are down there in Kokomo, Indiana. You know, I got to see the pictures and I met the, the young pastor there that's leading, met the people. They're doing their first Passover. Praise God. You know, they're, they're, they're coming to terms with that this Messiah, this is, is the King of Israel. He is the God of Israel. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that, that all of these wonderful things that God established uh, with, through Moses for the Hebrew people, these things are also offered as a heritage and part of the teaching for all believers in the Messiah. To go back to a verse I'm sure you're very familiar with, that the promise given to our father Abraham, in your seed will all the families of the earth be blessed. And Paul specifically teaches that passage saying that the seed, singular, is referring to the Messiah. That if you are a believer in the Messiah, then you are of the seed of Abraham. You're part of the Abrahamic family and part of the promises of Abraham. And that's the reason why we can say through the Messiah, all the families of the earth are blessed. And all of the families of the earth that are blessed by the Messiah, you get to be part of the Passover. The appointed times belong to you. They're not exclusively Jewish feasts. They're biblical feasts. They belong to the Hebrew people. They belong to the descendants of Abraham. Now, the Jewish people are just one segment within the physical, biological native of born of Jacob through from Abraham. But as you all know, the Torah emphatically teaches us that the assembly, what we call Israel, is a mixed multitude. It's not just the native born. It is the alien and sojourner and any person who wants to believe in the God of Israel. They are included and they're counted with the tribes and they're part of the assembly. And the commandments are explicitly given to both, to the native born, to the alien and sojourner, so that there will be one law for all of God's people. Now, that isn't necessarily what is taught by some religious men, but that's what Moses taught, that's what Yeshua taught, and that's what Paul taught. Now, for those of us who believe in the teaching of Moses, you know, the Torah, we believe in the Messiah, and we believe also in the work of the apostles that have followed since then, and all of the scripture we have, these are the commandments, and this is how we show our love of God and love of the Messiah by obeying his commandments. And we keep these things, and we believe these things. And me, as a, as a Jewish believer, I look out to my other fellow brethren, and I don't care whether you're Jewish or your grandmother lit candles on Friday night way back along, I don't care. You know, these commandments and this heritage belongs to you too. If you're a believer in the Messiah, come, eat the feast of the Lord with us. And I'm excited and encouraged. I'm serious about this. I'm very excited and very encouraged to see new brethren. Maybe they've been in the church for years. Maybe they have a long-term testimony of believing in Jesus Christ. Great. But come and eat the feast of the Lord. Eat the feast of redemption. Because, guys... If we're the last generation, 
And there's going to be this final redemption. There's going to be these prophecies and so forth taking place, the great tribulation and all that. There's a Passover coming up that's going to be very important to you. Well, it's not going to be important to you if you don't start keeping the Passover to begin with. It's the people who keep the Passover that will know about these things when they really happen. They will be in the assembly hearing the same instruction. And they will get the same warning. But the people not keeping the commandments and doing their own thing, they'll never hear it. They'll have no idea what in the world is going on. Because they're not familiar with the prophecy, they don't see it as relating to them. So I'm encouraged and excited to hear many new brethren coming in because I believe these are the, these are the steps. This is the path that leads to redemption and deliverance and salvation. And I believe that the salvation and deliverance that will take place in the Great Tribulation will be the greatest deliverance and salvation that God has done in the entire history of the world. And in fact, I believe you can take up all the deliverance and salvation that the church has been a part of, what God has done before, it barely will even come close to what will be taking place in the final generation when God comes back to restore all of his people and to resolve the issue with his enemies. This is what we have to look forward to. And this is the reason why the, every Passover cannot be boring. This could be the Passover. Well, obviously, we just had the Passover. Elijah didn't show up at my door. I didn't see where he was, so I'm going to look to the next one. But I'm not looking past the next one. I'm serious. We're going to be looking and anticipating the return of the Master and the fulfillment of his good promises to us. Amen? So that's our message for this week, and, and I commend you for keeping the Feast of Unleavened, eating the unleavened bread with us uh, here this week, and to begin the counting of the Omer on the day after this Sabbath, we'll begin the count, and uh, we'll look forward to the next uh, one that leads us to the Feast of Weeks and off into the fall, and it just gets better. It just gets better. Praise the Lord. So join with me in a prayer, and then we will be uh, done for this Sabbath. Father, thank you. Thank you for your appointed times. Thank you for your words of instruction. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us in continuing to maintain and keep covenant with us, Lord. We thank you that we get to be a part of this assembly. I thank you for my brethren that you have raised up from among the nations. I look forward to, Lord, for you fulfilling your good word to restore all of Israel back to yourself again to bring all the scattered exiles back to the kingdom and to the land. And I look forward to the day when we will get to be in the kingdom, in the land, and you'll tabernacle with us. We look forward to that day. And as we enjoy the appointed times of this year, we're reminded, Lord, of the wonderful promises and story that you've shared with us. And it is our joy, Lord, to obey your commandments. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shabbat shalom. Yevarecha Adonai 
and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. Stop the 